This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Let us start the show as we like to do with On This Date in History. And boy, did a lot happen on today's date, October 21st. It was on October 21st in the year 1096, during the First Crusade, that forces in the Balkans rose up to destroy the ragged army of Peter the Hermit, which was the first of many crusades, which set out to regain the Middle Eastern holy sites from the Saracen, i.e. Muslims, occupying it. Peter the Hermit was described as a passionate monk, but poor military leader. In fact, it was Christian alleged allies of the Crusaders that rose up and destroyed them because they were simply behaving so badly. To say the least, he was a poor military leader. The whole episode of the Crusades is one of the black eyes in the history of Western civilization. It's worthy of note that when the Christian armies finally did capture Jerusalem, they put all of the resident Jews and Muslims to the sword, something the Islamic armies refrained from doing when they retook the city somewhat later. Speaking of Muslim leadership, it was on October 21st in 1508 that the Safavid leader Shah Ismail I captured Baghdad and within eight years had established Shiite control over all of Persia. Persia, modern-day Iran, remains Shiite to this day. And as we found out to our surprise, so is most of Iraq, which had been counted as a Sunni country, mostly due to Saddam Hussein's rather faulty census-taking. On October 21st in 1520, the great Portuguese explorer Ferdinand Magellan began the first passage of the stormy and dangerous sea channel at the tip of South America that would eventually bear his name. It took him six weeks to cross from the Atlantic to the Pacific and was now known as the Straits of Magellan. Despite being a legendary navigator, Magellan had the bad luck to sail across the Pacific Ocean and scarcely come across an island until he hit Guam. Look at the globe sometime between the Straits of Magellan and Guam, and imagine what that must have been like. On October 21st in 1803, the English chemist John Dalton, considered the father of atomic theory, presented his first account of the Table of Atomic Weights to the Manchester Literary and Philosophical Society. Aided by the work of the Russian Dmitry Mendeleev, that's how we got our periodic table of the elements. One of the wonderful keys as to how the universe works. On October 21st in 1805, in one of the most decisive naval battles ever fought, the British fleet, under Admiral Lord Nelson, defeated a combined French and Spanish fleet at the Battle of Trafalgar. Victory ensured that Napoleon Bonaparte would never invade Great Britain. Nelson succumbed to a sniper's bullet during the fray, which, if my memory serves me correct, began with a message from Nelson to the rest of the fleet that England expects every man to do his duty. Apparently, Napoleon admired that very much, even though he was hosed by the battle. Speaking of naval battles, on October 21st in 1904, Russia's newly refitted Baltic fleet, on its way to a disastrous defeat by the Japanese, fired by mistake upon British fishing trawlers in the North Sea, nearly inciting a war with Great Britain. And you know, when you're taking a look at that globe between the Tierra del Fuego and Guam, take a look at how Russia is screwed by its geography when it comes to seaports. Kind of explains a lot of Russian behavior over the years. And finally, speaking of stupid wars, it was on October 21st in 1967 in Washington, D.C. that nearly 100,000 people gathered 
to protest the American war effort in Vietnam. More than 50,000 of the protesters marched to the Pentagon. The protest was the most dramatic sign of the waning U.S. support for President Lyndon Baines Johnson war in Vietnam. Noted the History Channel's Today in History, from which we take most of these entries. The Vietnam War protest was important in suggesting that the domestic Cold War consensus was beginning to fracture. The protesters were not simply questioning America's conduct in Vietnam, but the very basis of the nation's Cold War policy. And it's one, two, three, what are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. Next stop is Vietnam. Unfortunately, I'm not sure it changed very much over the subsequent 25 years until the Soviet Union imploded. I tell you, some of those days in history, it just seems like nothing ever happened, but uh, wasn't the case for October 21st. Our quote of the day comes from Alfred Nobel, who said, I intend to leave after my death a large fund for the promotion of the peace idea, but I am skeptical as to its results. Our quote of the day comes from Mark Evanier, whose website we've recommended you many times, news from me. In the wake of the Obama administration's lifting the ban on deep water drilling, Mark said, Hey, what could go wrong? Our bonus quote of the day comes from Stephen Valentino, who said, or at least quoted someone as saying, Sometimes you overlook just how badly the bear dances, just because it's a dancing bear. Our stat of the day comes from ABC News and is that 85% of Americans say they're either dissatisfied or angry about the economy. 54% of them blame both parties equally. Maybe. 35% are angry with the Democrats. 10% are angrier with the Republicans. Does this make sense to you? Well, me neither. While it is true that Goldman Sachs uh, has probably more Democratic friends than Republicans, it doesn't seem as though Wall Street and the Wall Street Journal, etc. generally favors the Dems. We'd agree that both sides are to blame in all this, but uh, I certainly wouldn't put the bulk of the blame on the Democrats. Under eight years of Bush-Cheney, we saw not a whole lot done to rein in the excesses on Wall Street. We would remind you that on this very program, Back circa 2004, we heard from Peter G. Peterson, the head of the Blackstone Group, that large private equity firm, that after talking with Paul Volcker, he believed the odds the U.S. economy was going to tank were three out of four in favor of. Of course, that was correct. Now, for our jokes today, we have Danielle to thank for sending this in. This may have been circulating a while. We used some of, some of this years ago, but uh, still, it's good. Notes that the Washington Post has published the winning submissions to its yearly contest in which readers were asked to supply alternate meanings for common words. We'll pick, I think, five or six of the winners. Abdicate. That's to give up all hope of ever having a flat stomach. Or gargoyle. Defined as olive-flavored mouthwash. Circumvent. Defined as an opening in the front of boxer shorts worn by Jewish men. How about coffee? Defined as the person upon whom one coughs. And my personal favorite, oyster. Defined as a person who sprinkles his conversations with Yiddishisms. Oi. Without much further ado, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for political correctness when it was noted that instead of global warming, the Obama administration now prefers to use the term global climate disruption. White House science advisor John Holdren said the new term would more accurately convey that a changing climate would bring more extremes of both hot and cold weather, more snow in some regions, more droughts, and more floods. Which I guess is still a better term than what the Bush administration referred, which was climate change. And it was a bad week last week for what's left of the Warsaw Pact after Russia unveiled a faux army of inflatable tanks, missile launchers, and other decoy weapons. The equipment is made out of special materials, so radar detects them as the real thing. I can see them planning this one. Yes, don't worry if inflatable tank does not move. We are sure that NATO radar operators will never notice. And finally, it was an ugly week for investors. In the wake of the New York Times revealing that low-rated junk bonds, once considered financial poison, are making a comeback. Apparently this year, companies worldwide issued a record $275 billion in high-yield debt, as the bonds are more politely known. That's up from $163 billion last year. With typical yields of about 7.5%, junk bonds return far more than high-rated corporate or government debt. Well, there's a reason for that. They may not pay out for very long. And from the week's boring but important department, we have to verify that, yes, it's true, as pointed out by Mark Evanier, the Obama administration lifted its moratorium on deep water oil drilling last week and instituted new safety regulations on these deep water rigs. Said Interior Secretary Ken Salazar, we have made and continue to make significant progress in reducing the risks associated with deep water drilling. I think we'll return to that later. From the only in Nova Scotia file, we have the item that apparently a group of recreational players in Nova Scotia have abandoned their attempt to set a world record for the longest soccer game. Apparently a steady downpour made conditions too dangerous after just 17 hours of play. The Guinness Book of World Records... (laughs) Lists 42 hours as the record for the world's longest soccer game. That was set in Qatar earlier this year. And no, we don't, we don't believe they were referring in any respect to the World Cup, which just seemed like it was going on for 42 hours. And from the stupidity file, we have this item. Apparently an investment company in Phoenix wants to build a theme park where children can build snowmen and have snowball fights and even sled down a hill when Arizona desert temperatures top 100 degrees. Apparently, Catalyst Land Holdings, LLC, has proposed building the indoor snow-themed park next to an old Phoenix landfill. Yeah, the story just gets better and better. With help from the city, as well as a state law, that allows cities to provide tax-exempt bonds for theme parks. You think some businessmen out there are gaming the system? I don't know. I believe they already have such a facility in Dubai. And by God, if Radio Parallax ever gets to Dubai, which it would like to do sometime soon, uh, it'll check that out for you. Oh, and here we another item from the stupidity file. According to the WashingtonMonthly.com, President Obama's nomination of economist Peter Diamond to a seat on the Federal Reserve has been held up for months by Alabama Senator Richard Shelby, who claims Diamond is unqualified for the office. Last week, of course, Diamond won the Nobel Prize in Economics. What do you bet that don't change Richard Shelby's mind? 
All right, we reported on this program a few weeks ago that studies have shown that sitting at a desk all day long has terrible health risks. Apparently some folks are uh, tackling this issue. Article by Michael Rosenwald in the Washington Post talks about what's turning into a controversy whether people should be sitting or standing at work. Apparently at the Dulles, Virginia campus of AOL, standing has become the new thing for about 10% of the workers. Article shows a picture of a man named Mark Ramirez, an executive at AOL who stands at his desk all day. Said Ramirez, I got my knees bent. I feel totally alive. Feels more natural to stand. I wouldn't go back to sitting. Noted Rosenwald, standers give various reasons for taking to their feet. Say it makes them feel more focused, prevents drowsiness, makes them feel like a general, even if they're just pushing paper. I'm not sure that's a good reason. The article also notes that Former Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld used to work standing up. Again, not necessarily a good role model. Yeah, in the wake of the Iraq War, Rummy should have been standing in the corner. But the article talks about this article that we cited earlier, the American Journal of Epidemiology study that showed that among 123,000 adults, which they followed for 14 years, those who sat more than six hours a day were at least 18% more likely to die during the period that was studied. Leading researcher on that study, Mark Hamilton, calls sitting the new smoking. Other experts are firing back, saying that standing too much at work will cause more long-term back injuries. Ask factory workers, they say. They quote Alan Hedge, a noted ergonomics professor at Cornell, who went so far as to call standing at work one of the stupidest things one would ever want to do. This is the high heels of the furniture industry. He adds the sensible and most cost-effective strategy is to sit in a neutral position, slightly reclined, with the keyboard on a tray above the lap. Workers, he notes, should then occasionally walk around, stretch, and avoid prolonged periods at the desk. Well, how are you going to do that? The key, he says, is movement, not standing. I don't know. I've never really had a desk job, but the few times I was, like, working over in a radio station and having to sit at a desk for long periods, I thought this was really a bad idea. Of course, I guess some of this depends on your boss. If the boss understands that you've got to keep getting up and moving around for your health, that's uh, going to be okay. But if he's wondering, what are you doing instead of doing your work, you may have a problem on your hands. But I guess if you've got a bad boss, you got a problem on your hands. Let's see if we can't hear from our old pal, Mr. Will Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here, your candidate for a lieutenant governor from the state of confusion. To warn you about one of the most deadly conspiracies ever foisted on the American public, milk. Because of his close ties to out-of-state dairy bosses, my opponent doesn't want you to know this, but milk is responsible for more damage to this country than any other liquid. And he continues to support milk subsidies. Think of it. Our military forced to kill the enemies of freedom using outdated technologies just so special interests like public school children can drink milk. This isn't just about milk, but it's subversive partners as well, butter and cheese, not to mention sour cream. Milk causes phlegm, bloating, and the humiliation of adults photographed wearing milk mustaches. Experts agree that milk is a gateway drug. It is a proven fact that 99% of all heroin users started their descent into hell by first abusing milk. Ask yourself, where does milk come from? Cows. Passive, yet ubiquitous, scattered all over the countryside, just watching and waiting like bovine sleeper cells. Mad cow disease? That's milk in a nutshell. 
What about female human breasts? Do I have to tell you how obscene and contrary to everything pure they are? No, I didn't think so. The opposition calls it the perfect food. But you know what happens if you drink three gallons a day? You'll die. At first glance, it may seem innocuous enough with that soft, white, milky appearance. But think how quickly this substance churns dark by the simple addition of chocolate. Don't be fooled. Pasteurized is just another way of saying fluoridated. So from now on, when you see one of those Got Milk ads, just remember, it might as well read, Got Communist Poison? And if you vote for my opponent, you'll have it in spades. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst, and I approve this ad. He is and remains America's foremost political comic. Got to take a break in a minute. Before we do, I just want to cite uh, an article from the Sacramento Bee, October 14th, noting that Angelo Sakopoulos, noted local wheeler-dealer real estate developer, had puzzled people by buying the 17,000-acre Conway Ranch in Yolo County, a swath of wetlands, rice fields, and wildlife habitat that many consider to be the crown jewel of Yolo County. Sakopoulos is not a big supporter of wildlife, so people were wondering what he's up to. But uh, the answer was supplied by Burt Wilson, who appeared in this program last month to talk about the ongoing water grab in California. Said Burt in a letter to the Bee, Angelo Sakopoulos' land grab in Yolo County is all about getting valuable water rights that can be sold to people or industries in Southern California. The Metropolitan Water District bought land in Yolo County for the same reason. It makes scads of money selling water rights to districts in San Bernardino and Riverside. The Bee reported that the Bay Delta Conservation Plan is about building a canal to ship more water south. However, that's just one of the three water transfer options. The canal is the least likely to be selected. Nevertheless, it's all about taking more Northern California water out of the Delta and shipping it south to fuel development. We're sure that Bert has this correct. We'll refer you to his excellent blog and website at www.watergrab.blogspot.com. Or you can go to YouTube and look up Where Will the Water Come From? Bert's excellent explanation of this skullduggery. Let's take a short break. I'm listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. Well, I'm about to get up sick Watching my TV Checking out the news Until my eyeballs fail to see I mean to say that every day Is just another rotten mess And when it's gonna change, my friend Is anybody's guess So I'm watching and I'm waiting Hoping for the best Even think I go to pray Every time I hear them saying That there's no way to delay That trouble coming every day No way to delay that trouble coming every day. 